What's up, Fight Fan? You are listening to MMA Daily, the podcast where we bring you the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. It is Monday, April 4th, 2022, and this week's episode, UFC 273, all will be revealed. In the absence of an MMA event, we'll be going right into MMA news. We have a couple of fight announcements, and of course, we'll be talking about this Saturday's big UFC pay-per-view, UFC 10... 273, the fight between featherweight champion Alexander Volkanovsky and the Korean Zombie, the Bantamweight title unification bout between Aljamain Sterling and Peter Yan, the return of Hamzat Chemaev against Gilbert Burns, and a lot of the fun stuff in between. My name is Gabriel Gonzalez, and I'm here with my co-host, Natalie Zamudio. Hey, Double G, did you have a good weekend? Ready to jump right into the old uh, work week? I did. I mean, Monday kind of hit me like a slap to the face at the Oscars. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, what, last what t- happened at the Oscars? <laughs> last time we were talking, we were like, "Ah, oh, the Oscars are on. Maybe I'll check it out." And then, you know, twenty minutes after recording, oh sh- shoot! <laughs> yeah, I know. I was actually watching something else, and then I saw like thirty texts from my friends, and I told my husband, I was like. I think I something gotta change the channel. The well, we didn't even turn it on. We just went to the internet to find the clips. I was like, something happened. And then we spent like 30 minutes talking about how terrible it was. And, you know, everyone has their own opinion. Uh, I mean, for me, we just got done talking about a sucker punch in the, at the wrong time. But, you know, so it's like, ah, uh, again. Um, but yeah, what's funny is my experience. I see it. I see the full clip of the slap and the un you know uncensored aftermath with will yeah but then as i put the oscars on in real time like 5 minutes later will's given the speech so it was a very um it was a very jarring experience way to experience it in in that kind of timing but anyway we're here to talk about mma uh natalie there was no ufc bellator one pfl main pfl there was challenger series but the fact is you know it was a uh quote-unquote spring break for the big shows spring break for the reporters too it was like hardly anything happening but uh, we do have a couple of things to discuss in mma news so let's start with bellator's announcement Gega Musasi, the middleweight champion, already scheduled to get back in action against Johnny Eblin on June 24th. Musasi, four-fight win streak since losing the title, just stopped Austin Vanderford in February. Eblin, undefeated at 10-0, seven Bellator fights, just fought former title challenger John Salter in March and won that by unanimous decision. Um, And then also, not for nothing, on the undercard, they're set to have the... uh, the final, the first round of the Bantamweight Grand Prix. So they have a couple of the wild cards coming up, as you know, and then they're going to get right into it and get the, uh, or sorry, they're going to just get those final few fights already settled for the Bantamweight tournament. Um, Give me your thoughts, because obviously I don't think anybody expected Diego Musasi to jump really right back in there this fast. I mean, I like, I like that though. He's, he, look, the the clock is ticking, not not in not not very quickly, you know. But time comes for us all. He has this opportunity. Why not? And uh, he just always has that like laissez faire attitude, just super relaxed and chill. Obviously, he's a killer, but I like that they're doing it. I'm not uh, gonna pretend I'm a you know expert on on Johnny Eblen, 
but that's a record you can't deny. So there's a challenge there for Gegard, although when you look at his record, it's pretty impressive, right? Like almost 50 fights versus 10. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean anything when you take into account age of Gegard. Um, but of course, he's got a bunch of other assets, uh, skill sets, veteran savvy and all that good stuff. So I like it. I think something that you know you want to see at Bellator is more of the bigger names fighting frequently. And this is this is Gegard Mousasi doing just that. So I'm, I'm on board. What I will say is compared to about, you know, I hate to say it like because uh, the number just seems to grow to about six years ago. The struggle to get uh, more competition in some of these weight classes, it, it, it's been a little tough for Bellator. And I say that with respect to Gegard Musasi. I think that Austin Vanderford, um, he was in that prospect level. But compared to when they brought in some of the other fighters, he wasn't coming in as an elite fighter. And I think that even now he still has a little bit of seasoning to get to, which I do believe he can reach. But my point of that is that as, you know, these last three fights now with Salter, Austin, and now uh, uh, Mr. Eblen, I think that the real thing is that Gega Musasi is just doing his thing. The trick to that is because he already has this great resume and accolades, he's kind of playing with house money. However, he's kind of he can only fight the people that they have available now with that i do think that this is a great move considering the situation because i think that if you're gay guard at this point you don't really have anything to lose with trying to move up and try to get the a 205 strap now obviously they got to settle business next week and we'll talk about that a little bit but i think that for musasi I like yourself. I appreciate him staying active. I do think that this is a good move because you don't know when the Nemkov Corey Anderson winner will be back in action. So this sets it up perfectly like, hey, you know you're active. If the winner who just got done with the whole tournament takes a minute to get back in the cage, you know that you're for you, you're still keeping your train rolling. And maybe he feels um, that the you know, the timeline will kind of fit a little better with him, so to speak, rather than, oh, I fight in February, and maybe the winner doesn't want to come back till like, November, December. I don't think it'll be that long, but, hey, you just become a millionaire, you win the tournament, you're entitled to want some time off. So, I think this really lines up well in that way. And in terms of Johnny Eblen, I mean, just like um, Rafael Lovato Jr. years ago, this is your time to shine. We've had now, you know, once again, Bellator's done a good job finding the best guys that they can and developing them. I believe John Salter was on a great win streak. Austin Vanderford, I believe, was undefeated. Uh, obviously, yeah. Eblin is undefeated. So it's really like, hey, let's work with the best we can. And you know what, Johnny? It is your time to answer the call. Give us a, you know, a landscape-altering upset. Let's see if we could do it. Yeah, I mean, those are always fun, right? <laughs> We've seen uh, uh, the last big one I can think of is, you know, Nunez and Pena. But yeah, shift uh, shift the ground we're walking on. Let's do it. That's that's always great, exciting MMA entertainment. What do you think is more likely to happen? They, br- they try to bring Yoel Romero 
to fight uh, they get Yoel to go down to 85 or Gego Musasi moves up because oh. I know Musasi moves up I think is more likely I don't think Yoel Romero should be cutting down anymore he's he's longer in the tooth I agree I feel like it just uh, I know he, and I know he's scheduled for another fight coming up uh, I believe on the Paris card next month but I also think that the they should have just pulled the trigger on Musasi Romero straight up. And then whatever happens, happens after that. You could always build them back again. But I think that having Yoel kind of say he wants to focus on 205, it, it, it kind of screwed the pooch. Because I think that now, you know, I don't think you're going to get as much bang for your buck out of Yoel at this stage of the game. Um, yeah, that's true. Sure. And I think, once again, like I said, I think that Musasi is just trying to have his schedule line up so he stays active and he's not, you know, he's not on the bench too long waiting for the Grand Prix winner to come back this year. So I agree with you. I think it's more than likely that he will, um, that Yoel just says, look, uh, I'll pass. I'll just do my thing at 205 at this stage. And Musasi probably doesn't invest too much in possibly getting a big fight with Yoel. Yeah. I think so. Another one, Jan Blahovic, the former champion, is uh, his fight with Alexander Rakic has been rebooked officially for May 14th, so a little over a month. Um, obviously, they were set to fight two weeks ago before an injury for Blahovic withdrew him from the fight. Obviously, Jan fought last October, where he lost the title to Glover Tashira. Rakic is 14 and 2. He's riding those back-to-back wins over Anthony Smith and Thiago Santos, but he has not fought since last March. Now, my big question, obviously, you know, we we broke down the fight a little bit, so we're not going to rehash that whole thing again. But since that we discussed it, now we have contenders like Magomed Ankalaev, like Jamal Hill. In that conversation, with those guys in mind, where do you see the Blahovich Rockich winner in terms of the title picture? Well, it's like, yeah, Magomed and Jamal contenders, but then you also have to look at strength of name value. And so strength of name value, and then it's like, okay, do you want to see repeat fights or do you want to see new fights, matchups and whatnot? Uh, I think Jan Blahovic still has, and Rakic, Rakic, what a tricky name to say, after Blahovic. They just, the two of the trickiest last names. Right. With all these extra consonants that don't get pronounced. Just, guys, you're killing me. Uh, yeah, I think either of those guys are still going to get a shot above Ankalaev or Jamal Hill just because of the name value. Um, but also, you know, we got to wait and see the performances. Sometimes that, if it's just, you know, astounding enough excited enough it can get you right into the conversation above someone that was expected to have a slot to have that slot so i think that when i look at the title picture it really comes down to glover Teixeira. so let's say if jan wins i think that that's or so jan wins glover wins they're gonna go magomed because we just saw blahovic and Teixeira. Uh, one thing I will say about Rockich is that I think his only he had a blip uh, like he lost earlier in his career. I got to double check it. I think it was like a, a loss to Vulcan Uzdemir. But he's essentially, you know, had very few setbacks since he reached the UFC level. He's only had the one 
and he only lost like one of his first, I think, two fights overall since he became a pro. That aside, I think that the fight with Tiago Santos last year, really, I mean, the only reason that that doesn't get uh, hurt, you know, like, you know, tossed through the mud a lot more is because it didn't have the hype of Derek Lewis, Francis Ngannou. But relatively speaking, it was that level of inactivity. And when I look at this situation with Rokic, I would have told you that the perfect fight for him, title eliminator versus Jiri Prohashka. Uh, I mean, we're talking about it's going to be over a year since Prohashka knocked out Dominic Reyes. Only two UFC fights. Yes, he has had a great career in Ryzen. But the fact is, they are they essentially let that guy coast for a whole year without even challenging his spot as a title contender. Yeah. I did think that they were going to make that fight because, okay, well, Rockage is doing well, but I think when you have a performance like that, that immediately halts your... The promotion and the fans saying, oh, I can't wait to see... No, 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 no. It, it, it really doesn't work that way. You can't, you can't have a fight like that when you're not a superstar and expect the demand to be high for you to fight and be in you know a part of the decision making as a champion you get what i mean yeah yeah now that being said obviously if rockage beats blahovich uh it's going to be hard to deny that he's one of the top guys there just on the strength of his last three fights now i do think that you can make it you could still swing ankalaev but that being said, I, I think that it's just one of those times we have these guys who've been a little slow to get to the title picture. I, I think that if Jan wins, certainly the UFC would like the idea of potentially Blahovic and Jiri, just because uh, Poland and Czech Republic, you know, it's a big fight in that part of Europe. Yeah. So I think that that's right there. But I think that... um. Depending on who wins, the, the winner of this one, even though they'll have a great resume going in, it's not a guarantee. It really depends on the schedule and the timing for the winner of the title fight in June. That makes sense. Yeah, but um, I don't know. Uh, I mean, you tell me. If the, you could pick one of the fights, like we have these four, what fight would you really want to see with, you know, Glover, Jiri, Jan, Rakic... Ankalaya, which combo do you think you would want to see following the Glover and Jiri fight? Oh, Magomed's a, a tough one, right? So that could be interesting, but I'm a fan of Jan. I'm a bigger fan of Glover, but I'm a fan of Jan's, and I think uh, a, a stab at redemption for him would be exciting for me. Um, you know, it could end up taking us into a rubber match because... We don't know what will happen when they meet again, but Glover beat him pretty soundly the first time. I mean, like, surprisingly, extremely soundly. So, actually, after the uh, the Glover-Jerry fight, I would like to see Glover yawn again, too. I like it. You know, see, I I know that that fight was such an anomaly because Blahovich just looks so good. And I think about, you know, like, the legendary Polish power and he's knocking out Rockhold and uh, Dominic Reyes. And I'm like, oh, dude. And I think about that guy and I think about that guy fighting Jiri in Europe. You get a similar vibe to what we just saw a couple of weeks ago in London. I don't know. That that to me stands out. That, that to me would be what I really want to see. You know what I mean? Um, 
I don't know. Uh, obviously, that's a lot of ifs. Obviously, they're both in uh, tough fights, but that would be the fight that I think stands out most uh, most salivating. Like, oh, we're going to get the damage. We're going to get this, you know, you got nice guy Blahovich against <laughs> Samurai Prohashka. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I like it in that way. But uh, yeah, look, I mean, obviously, there are a lot of ways to slice that particular apple. So we'll get to that when we get there. Um, I don't I will know. say this though before you go, because because you you got me thinking, Jan and Jiri, that's like some real Viking energy right there, right? Yes. <laughs> like I could just see both of them screaming at opposite sides of the octagon at each other. So yeah, okay. Dude, okay. And, and respectfully, they're two of the uh, everyone's ripped and got you know got a lot of muscles. Those two in particular, they are pretty built for the light heavyweight division. Yeah. Like, dude, like, just, like, imagine those two, they just decide to throw, you know, Czech power versus Polish power right in the middle of the octagon and be like, <laughs> dude, that would be so sick. <laughs> anyway, be some rock'em sock'em robots right yeah, there. Yeah, for sure. Uh, before we move on, I don't know if you saw this clip. Uh, obviously, Bellator, and I, we, we talked about it. They were going, um, you know, they're, they're going to go with Logan Storley against MVP. Did you see that clip by Bellator of Yurislav Amosov in Ukraine? Yes, like digging out of his belt from like a basement. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Dude, I I was just like, uh, okay, I'm not going to lie. I, I know that there's some stuff going on and I know that there are citizens coming back. But when I thought about it in my mind personally, I was like, oh, well, you know, look, they're they're at home. They're like with other volunteers. They're not soldiers, right? Yep. I did not expect to see him in the camo. I know, with all full the... gear, man. Yes, and then, you know, he's right there, and I'm like, dude, this is... Like, how do I put it? I guess when you imagine the, quote, battlefield, it's in a lot more of a barren landscape. This is just more, you know, the outskirts of their community. I, I just thought, man, that is wild, and, you know, I... Let me. I'll just say this. My reaction, uh, obviously, a lot of emotions. First off, dude, this this guy is a badass. Mm -hmm. Two, um, just his bravery, and I respect him so much for his decisions and understand the severity. Part of me couldn't help but wonder, like, I mean, I guess it's the obvious one. It's like, dude, we we could be losing like some champions. You know, you got Loma Usyk was out there. Yeah, Amosov, and I was like. I, I knew there was risk, but I, I guess I didn't expect them to be quite so ingrained in the quote-unquote front line, if that makes sense. Yeah, I wonder if there's pressure, if they feel pressure because they're fighters, you know, they're the tough guys. If they feel pressure to, to the way. be as close to the front as they can because, yeah, they don't want for their own pride, a legacy, and, and to be able to say, you know, I'm a champion in all aspects of life, you know, I'm going to be there. And it's this weird thing where, you know, we're talking about it and we, we both, our voices raise in excitement seeing him go get his belt. And, it, you know, you might, you or me, people might feel uncomfortable having that kind of reaction when we're talking about a war zone. But I think it's okay in, in, a, in a moment like this, even though it is a very severe, terrible uh, moment for Ukraine, for the people to recognize when something is just plain badass. And that is a badass moment. Like, this is a tough, badass dude who's doing something cool, getting his belt. And, you know, is he going to wear it? Like, could it stop a bullet? Maybe a 22? 
I don't know, but like it's 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 okay. I'm just sort of putting it out there. Like it's okay to have this moment of levity with something that's as serious as it is because like badass is badass, and that's straight up what that was. Absolutely. Uh, also, um, and he posted that to social media. Not yeah, of course. Bellator, uh, Bellator shared it, and other places shared it, obviously. But it's like uh, he's aware what this moment is like out there. So I'm just saying it's a. Uh, I, I know what we've been through the last two years. It's crazy times, you know, and that's all I'll say about that. Um, Natalie, l- let's get right into the good stuff. It's going to be a nice, good preview show. And it's a great card to have a lot of extra time to breathe and let it marinate. So, guys, we're going to start talking about it a lot earlier than we usually do at this part of the show. UFC 273. Um, like I said, very... Even though it's taken a couple of hits, obviously we're supposed to have uh, Irene Aldana, Aspen Ladd on the card. We were going to have Kelvin Gastelum and uh, Dracus Duplessis uh, on the card, and both of them have been removed. Uh, So it's um, even with those shots, it's still a very, uh, like, you know how we talk about, okay, like, did you get your bang for your buck? Natalie, this is a bang for your buck pay-per-view. Do you agree? Yes, I do agree. Because you have two title fights. To me, that's always bang for your buck. Like it's very rare that you're gonna have a title fight there, a double, you know, a double title fight on a card where you're you're gonna be disappointed. Like maybe one won't be as exciting as the other. But it's still a big dramatic moment to see two people fight for a belt, um, and then you know your your fight before the uh, your penultimate. No, what's the uh, not penultimate? The, the third before last, right? The, the Coco, yeah. Coco, thank you. Uh, that's exciting too because it's someone who's on the rise versus someone who's really good and, and just fought for the title not that long ago. So yeah, again, if you look at there are some cards whether there's title fights or not. Where you can say, okay, the main event is is worthy of all these other fights. Uh, sometimes you look at a pay per view and you say, only the main event is worthy. This one, I mean, there's at least three that are worthy. You're getting your bang for your buck. I say, 100% on paper, right? Let's wait and see what happens. But on paper, yes, you're getting your bang for your buck. I think yeah, you have star power. You have significant fights. You have a uh, everybody's on an upswing. Like even respectfully, like. Um, Volkanovski's fight with Ortega and then you had Nick Diaz and Robbie you know even though people were excited by the name value of Nick people were also aware that it could also be a little uh, you know it may not have the heat that we want because we don't know about Nick we know where Gilbert Burns is at and we know where Hamzad is at right now Uh, you got Mackenzie Dern Tisha Torres obviously you got the two title fights so you put it all together as a pack it's a good one to go. Um, I think uh, I want to go like all over the place. Let, let's start from the bottom up. I think that'll let us crescendo with the title. Um, so let's go ahead and talk about obviously, you know, the uh, in a lot of the people's main event. No two ways about it. Hamza Chimaev taking on number two ranked Gilbert Burns. I think that Natalie Gilbert Burns has been criminally underrated. He had a great run to get to a title fight. And I understand, like, oh, it, like at the time, oh, well, it was Jorge Masvidal was the guy people wanted to see. 
Leon Edwards was on like the eight, nine, ten fight win streak, right? I, I, I get it. Gilbert Burns has been one of the most consistent performers since he's moved up to welterweight. I think the fact that he almost finished Kamaru Usman doesn't get talked about enough, and I get it. You know, Kamaru's on a run. It kind of feels like he just had a blip in route to maintaining the status quo. I get it. He has been set up to propel Hamzat to a title shot. And stylistically, I get it, you know, Gilbert is not really the most, uh, even though he's got a great pace, he's not this, you know, flow and fast and get in and out and known for this lightning quickness for the welterweight division. He kind of just moves in one direction and can walk you down and really get you. Um, And then, of course, for Hamzat, we know exactly what he's bringing to the table in terms of that enigma, you know, he's big, he's fast, he's got great grappling. Can he use those gifts to kind of just put you in a position where you're really neutralized very quickly despite your skill set? And that's what we're bringing. Obviously, Hamza getting the win, you're now probably talking about some really big fights. Gilbert Burns, he beats Hamza. There wasn't a lot of heat for him to get back to the title picture. He can certainly turn this into a title eliminator at the end of this year. So I think that this is a big fight for the two of them. Both of them have a lot to prove. There's a lot to appreciate. There's a lot of X factors and mystery to it. There's just a lot to enjoy. What do you like about this fight? I like Hamzat. Um, I, Gilbert Burns, all the wonderful things that we've seen him do, he can still do those. But when I think about Hamzat fighting, I'll butcher the name, Lee Jing Lee. Thank you, sir. I mean, the confidence, the bravado, and the skills. That, to me, is like a man who will not be stopped. And, you know, when you think about how dismayed he was when he saw COVID had ended his career and was able to come back, you know, get his body back in good shape, the man is on fire. And for as good as Gilbert Burns is and as much of a challenge as he can pose in certain moments, I think Hamzat, Hamzat just being bigger, faster, stronger on the feet is enough, right? But when you talk about his speed and agility to get you wrapped around his arms, to get you tangled up, to get you down and submitted, I think it's going to be a fast night for him. I'm going to go ahead and just say it now. I think it's going to be a, a round one submission, probably rear naked choke. You're just going to disrespect my man Gilbert like that. I am. I am. I know Number two contender. I mean, jiu-jitsu. I mean, I get it. And I'm not, um, I'm actually not like a huge fan of the Khabib style wrestling fighting, but I think this Hamzat guy is just burning with like (laughs) everything. He is not going to be stopped right now. He's like Khabib with swag. That's yeah. the only way I could put it. And, you know, they're not, like, they're not twinning. He's not part of the eagle school of Habib with Mahachev and everybody. But, you know, they, they bring a little bit of the similar. They know how to use these dangerous weapons out there in the cage. Um. So for me, the big thing, Gilbert Burns, if you're going to pull off this thing, you got to get Hamzad into those later rounds. You got to see what he's like when it's not all systems go for him. Which is obviously very hard. The physicality, the skill set in particular, and the uh, the speed and power. Look, 
he, he's proven a handful for good reason. That being said, Gilbert, you gotta use your experience and you gotta be ready to step into the fire a little bit. Lateral movement, you gotta not, you, you gotta make sure you are always the one in good position. And that's gonna mean stepping into Hamzad a little bit. That means moving around, making sure you're not planted for Hamzad to feel like he could just kind of run you down in a straight line to get you to the fence and try to get you down. All of that stuff is very important. Gilbert, you know, he's proven that. I mean, he's uh, improved immensely as a striker. At welterweight, I think he's really filled out, you know, compared to when he was making the cut to 155. And then with his jiu-jitsu, the one thing about Gilbert, yeah, he's a solid grappler. I know he's worked off his back hours and hours and hours. There are very few guys, and I'm not sure that Gilbert is one of those, that he is as good quite off of his back as he is when he is um, on top. And I think that's the difference you talk about, oh, well, this guy's a good grappler. There is good, and then there's being great off of your back. I think that when you talk about, okay, Kenny, how is his jiu-jitsu going to work against Hamzat? I don't know if he's there that he's going to provide this, oh my gosh, world of danger to Hamzat from his back. That being said, I do think that he shouldn't, he should explore the idea, try to get Hamzat down a little bit. Make him work off of his back. Make him just have to expend that energy a little more. And that's how you do it. I think that if he could execute that game plan, he gives himself the best chance to try to, you know, just wear down the energy bar. That being said, I'm very aware of what Hamzat brings to the table. And I think really the one thing working against Gilbert is going to be the size and speed. I think that Hamzat's ability to kind of walk him down a little bit, the fact that he does have significant power in his own shots, I think that's just going to be the thing that really works against Gilbert is the fact that he's not going to be able to, he's going to struggle to have the stopping power to keep Hamzat away from him. And I think that's eventually going to lead to getting corralled into the fence and dealing with all sorts of problems. On paper, it should be a lot more competitive than people are taking it. But I'll agree with you right now. I I think that's going to be a Hamzat victory too. I am going to say late in the first round. I think that Gilbert's going to try to get some things going. And then I think he's just going to find himself really in deep water faster than he expects against Hamzat. Just because of the physicality. So I'm with you there. I think Uh, TKO for uh, Hamzat. I think that, uh, you know, he might like he might be able to go for the back, but he's going to just kind of pin him down and ground a pound for the win. Round one. Yep. Okay, I like it. Yeah. Um, Title shot for Hamzat. It should be if Gilbert Burns pulls off the upset. I really do think they're just going to go to Vicente Luque and Bilal Muhammad next week. What about you? You mean to... Like or, a, after after Kamaru Usman, Leon Edwards for the title shot. That they would they would bypass Gilbert Burns and just wait to see what happens with Bilal. And Luke, yeah. And Luke. Um, yeah, why not, I guess? Because fresh blood and probably Kamaru wouldn't mind not facing someone he's already fought and who's a friend. So, yeah, assuming they have a good fight, there's always the possibility that it's a, you know, sort of a, a standstill, but assuming 
or I should say based on how these two guys fight, I doubt it's going to be that. So it makes sense that they would be looking at those two fighters over Gilbert Burns should he should Gilbert Burns beat Chimaev. I can't disagree with you. Yeah, I, I think if anything, Burns, um, I could see a fight with Colby Covington. I don't think the Poirier fight is going to happen for Colby personally, but I could see Burns and Colby being the next one for sure. Uh, assuming he wins, um, <laughs> yeah. Hamza, that there's no way that dude doesn't get the next shot. You know, Absolutely. obviously, like if Usman beats Leon, he'd be going for number seventeen and breaking the all-time wins record of Anderson Silva. Uh, then if Leon Edwards pulls out the upset, I mean, one, they might just run back Leon and Usman, but also remember Leon and Hamza have history. Booked twice, never happened. Leon was not afraid to be the guy to risk his spot against Hamza. There's a lot to enjoy there. Yeah, so, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think that's how they would. That's how we would play this one all out. The co-main event, finally the resolution. Peter Yan, Aljamain Sterling, number two, almost a year. Well, a year and some change from their uh, infamous uh, collision. Uh, you know, Natalie, when I break it down, I think that. There, there's just so much bragging rights on the line, you know. There's because I think that the the winners are the ones who write history, right? That's how they call it. Mm-hmm. If Peter Yan wins, he's like, well, I techni- I was gonna stop you the first time, and you know, stuff happened and I I screwed the pooch, but you know, he's like, technically, I was always the champ. Yeah, you know, he gets to write that story. Aljamain Sterling pulls this off. Not only does he kind of silence a lot of those people who have been chirping at him all year, but he kind of gets to rewrite the narrative of the first one. Because before it was like, oh, well, he was probably on his way to getting stopped by Peter. Now, it's like, did you guys all forget how good I looked those first few rounds? And now I come back and finish the job and this and that. And, you know, he gets to tell the narrative a different way. I like I like the fight because it's very rare that we've had this situation in my mind. I honestly cannot tell you the last time we had this happen. Like even with like close fight with a draw, run it back, um, like immediate rematch that wasn't supposed to be an immediate rematch. Uh, all of this, it's just such a interesting fight. Uh, stylistically, it's good. The personalities clash really well it's just great from a lot of different angles and i know some people are going to feel like well you know there's not as much heat because you feel like you already had an idea who would have won in the end anyway in the last time but i think that this is a much more entertaining fight than a lot of people may give it credit for what about you i agree and i think there still is a lot of heat because nothing's been resolved and in fact i think you know the Fighters left the the octagon with some bitterness, probably, and feeling of of uh, being uh, unsettling, of being unsettled. Mm-hmm. You know, Aljo was doing well in the first round, but a lot of fighters do well against Piotr Jan in the first round because he lets them. It's always like, oh, they're doing great, and then Piotr's like, okay, I've downloaded the data, I've you know analyzed it, and I'm ready to murder you and then he just turns it on and like flat-footed terminator just goes and does his job so yeah aljo was doing great but that's sort of expected with anyone that fights Piotr young 
but he was still doing great later in the rounds. Now I rewatched this and you have, uh, I think it was Trevor, um, Whitman was the, or was it Dean Thomas? I can't remember who was the, the, you know, the additional voice in the corner there echoing what DC said about Aljo's doing too much. He's trying too hard, right? He was trying to throw like five moves into one spinning elbow, kick and punch and all this stuff and it was just getting a little messy so I think both guys have a lot of great information about how they performed about each other what they can bring back to the octagon to do better uh, on Sterling's part and to do better on Jan's part right away so in other words Piotr Jan has all the information he needs he can just go into Terminator mode round one he doesn't need to wait and feel out his opponent, he already knows him. Now, of course, you know, don't make any mistakes, no illegal moves, please, not again. Uh, all that is to say, I think, for all the attributes that Sterling has and for however well he looked against Jan up until that illegal move, I think Jan is at the, in the advantage here because not only does he know how to defeat Sterling right away, but he has the confidence of, as you said, really never lost the belt. He didn't lose it to Sterling. He, he, he lost it himself right like sterling didn't beat him he just gave it away and then he's the interim champion again or as well i should say so if i'm looking at this both guys are looking for retribution but yan has more advantages coming into it and i think we'll see a finish from yan in round two uh tko you know i think that this fight actually goes longer I think that one thing that Aljo gets now the benefit from, he's seen, obviously he went in with, haven't seen how the fight between Aldo and Peter Jan went. He has his own experience there. And now he's also seen Corey Sanhagen experience the fight with uh, Peter Jan. Yeah. And I think that the big key to that is that when you have these really dynamic bantamweights, and I, I know that's like, that's a big room right when yeah. i say it but i think that the thing about it is that you now know that like hey th- unless you truly have it on a on a pedestal on a silver platter you should not try to go for broke because unless you get there i think everyone has seen now how difficult it is to get him out of there that's not to say you should be trying to win but I do think there's going to be a level of a conservative approach to Aljo. He knows he needs to be able to beat him up for 25 minutes. Not 10, not 15, 25. Because when you've been trying to give it to him for 10 minutes and you get tired, he has proven that he is just as dangerous in round 5 as he could be in round 1. And that's, you know... Sadly, that has not been seen from several elite fighters at this point now who fought fight Peter. I think there's going to be a level of a conservative approach. Now, that's not to say that you could run and you could do a little bit of a Yoel Romero type of uh, strategy. Just kind of pick your shots, one, two, not really expend a lot of energy, trying to be fresh for the later rounds. But I don't think that Aljo is going to try to just go off on him. I think he's going to pick his spots to get in, move around a lot. And he's going to focus on being able to get his own momentum rolling as they enter the third, as they enter the fourth. Where he feels like now Peter's the one who has to take risks to get there. Peter Jan, 
he is so technically sound and I think that the big thing about him is he's so debilitating. He just can come at you. He could keep going at you in the later rounds. You got to st- you got to take the fight to Aljo. And I think that's one thing he struggled to do in the first fight. He kind of had to wait for Aljo to get tired. He had to pick his spots. He had to be the one, you know, Aljo le- led the dance and he had to follow him and he was down a couple of those rounds. I think that Peter has to get going early because the quickest way to end all of this beautiful uh, game planning that I'm saying is to put that pressure on, on Aljamain, make him make mistakes, make him feel that pressure uh, of him coming forward early because then that's going to force him to expend more energy. He's going to feel a little bit of that stress and you know we already know Peter could keep it up for 25 minutes. Obviously, he could catch him, he could do damage, and this gets done a lot faster. But I think that the real key is just get him as tired quickly. That way he is more susceptible to big shots and getting out of there uh, even faster. (sighs) I think about the fights like, you know, Aljermaine just goes out there and snipes Corey Sanhagen. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, Pedro Munoz, he's winning. He just looks good. He's he's on a roll. But man, if I'm just not a believer in Peter Jan. Yep. He just, his ability to do those things out there and just um not take the damage he needs to, defend himself well, that just machine guard, high guard up there. <sighs> I think I'm with you. Although I'm going to say... A unanimous decision for Peter. Okay. I think he's gonna... Aljo's gonna come and he's gonna represent himself well. He's gonna try to show some development. But I also think the fact that Aljo's been out for a while with the neck injury. Yeah. You know, remember, he didn't just like, oh, you know, let me let me chill. And then he was back in the gym. He was still struggling as of October. And now, look, I know he's a lot better. He wouldn't have taken this fight if he's not ready. But that being said, I just don't see him. I think he's had a more uphill battle to get back to the level he needs to be for a fight of this magnitude. Not that he can't get there. Not that he's going to be in bad shape. But I just want to acknowledge he went through a lot. And I think that could play a factor as we get into the later rounds of this one. All right. Well, yeah, I mean, we're in lockstep there. Hamzat. Piotr. Let's see what happens on the next one. (laughs) Oh, well, let's talk about it. Okay, the main event, the featherweight title on the line. Alexander Volkanovsky taking on Chan Sung Jung, a.k.a. the Korean Zombie. So, I mean, what do you need to know about Alex that you don't already know already? Uh, 20-fight win streak, 10 in the UFC. His last five or six fights have been just unreal. Knocks out Chad Mendes. Beats Jose Aldo in Brazil. Beats Max Holloway back-to-back. Outlasts Brian Ortega last September. And now he's going for title defense number three against the Korean Zombie. Obviously a veteran of the game, Korean Zombie. He got back in the win column. I'm trying to remember who it was against. It was... This is what happens when you talk about too many people at once. You know what I mean? Danny Gay. He fought Danny Gay last uh, last June. But look, I mean, I think you got to respect the experience and obviously the durability of the zombie. Had this fight happened about 
two, three years ago. I think it would be a pick 'em fight on paper, just because Zombie was on a roll and he was just he was just really giving guys the work. And a lot of the contenders that are up there right now just were not in the conversation or even in the picture at all. Now I feel like Korean Zombie he's reached that point where it's like, look, you know this. This kind of feels like his last chance to really have his breakthrough, right? He's been yeah. close. He's been up there, um, had good fights, had tough losses, um, lost some fights that maybe he was favored to win. And now, you know, when you talk about Volkanovski, you're talking about a guy who, when he is on, he is, you know, he he's the best featherweight in the world, regardless of what you think about how those fights with Max Holloway went. He's the one with two W's, and he's the one who's looked that good against other people. This is a guy who, you know, let's be honest, there's one A and one B, and then there's everybody else when they're on. Mm -hmm. And I I think you've got to respect a guy who's that dangerous. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Volkanovski is, he's strong, he's sturdy, he's stocky, he's fast, and he's smart. And so you put all that together, it's a heck of a challenge for anyone in there as we've seen and what's great about him is that he just doesn't he's like the energizer bunny right he just doesn't get tired he doesn't stop he doesn't slow down think about that brian ortega fight at the very end he was just you know ortega had him in some chokes right i mean especially the first one i don't know how volkanovsky survived he does and at the end it's almost like he took it personally that Ortega, you know, tried to beat him, and he's just walloping on him, just beating him up like a big brother does to his little brother. The guy doesn't get tired, and he always finds a way. Even though he's smaller, he finds a way to get in. He finds a way to hurt you. He's got great footwork, and the confidence. Like right now, his confidence is really high. He doesn't feel like anyone can beat him, and not just because he's champ, he's champion, but because he's been in there against the best of this division and. Pretty much beat them soundly. Again, Max Holloway, okay. You have your opinions on that, but he's been a bulldozer, a little bulldozer, right? So when I look at this, I think Korean Zombie is a killer. I think about that Yair Rodriguez fight, how he was piecing him up. It was just his it was his fight. It was over. One second left, you got caught. And Brian Ortega, that was a good fight, a good showcase for Brian Ortega, but remember what Volkanovsky said after that fight, or I should say before he fought Brian Ortega about that fight. He said, Ortega looked great against Korean Zombie because the Korean Zombie is flat-footed. I, I don't fight like that, so he's not going to have that same luck. I'm not just going to be standing there for him to piece me up. And so you can kind of still use that um, analysis as Korean Zombie faces Volkanovski, which is Volkanovski's facing a flat-footed fighter, and he's just going to... He has the potential to piece him up. I think that's what's going to happen. For his game as Korean Zombie is... And as skilled and you know, all the veteran savvy that he has with him, I think Volkanovski will prove once again to be too much for his, for you know, for the next contender in line trying to get the belt. Like I said at the at the start of this, the way he moved, his footwork, his intelligence, his strength, it's too much. So, I think it's going to be a war. I think it's going to go to the end. I think it's going to be a five round unanimous decision for Volkanovski. But I think it's going to be a clear decision, and and we're going to see some some firefights here and there against the cage in the middle of the octagon. But for the most part, Volkanovski is going to be controlling the pace, controlling the angles, picking his shots. And 
it's not going to be an easy fight for him by any means, uh, but I think it'll be like maybe easier than his fights against Holloway. Um, Korean Zombie has more power than Holloway, but he's not as slick. And so for that reason, I think it's going to be a little bit easier for Volkanovski to execute his game plan and take him to five rounds and get the decision. Ooh, you make it so interesting. <laughs> you know, I'm with you on a lot of that analysis. I think that um, the thing about Volkanovski, having watched him on TV, and I'm being honest, I was able to be cage side for his fight with Ortega. Watching him get in, get into range against a taller guy, and and I'm watching him like get in there with Brian, and it's the little things. And I, I hate to say, you gotta almost watch him in person without the commentary and let your yeah. eyes do the analysis yourself. Um, he does almost like like his feet. Like you'll watch him do like little stir steps and all that. He does all of these little things. That opponents don't know, is he coming in? Is he going out? Is he going left? Is he going right? And all of that creates that moment of hesitation where suddenly, you know, look, he's not tall, but he's like a little tank. Yeah. And the second he gets in and could start throwing punches and he uses that excellent shot selection and movement, that's really where his brilliance is. That's where it's on display. That's where you can see what makes him such a special fighter. Um, and, and I think that style compared to what we've seen from the Korean zombie is exactly where he's going to give him the most problems, like you pointed out. Um, like you said with Korean zombie, he obviously is very dangerous. He doesn't go away quietly no matter who he's fighting, no matter how he's fighting. Um, I, I will give an X factor just because I feel like it is due he is now also part of the Henry Cejudo school of um, what do we call this? thing they're doing like i i don't want to say um like school of redemption but then that's almost not fair but it kind of feels like it with uh yeah you know and not everyone has the same um situation going in we got champions coming in off of losses we've had yeah isle of misfit toys (laughs) it's a it's a very um unique group that he's got coming through there right yeah yeah i didn't watch the i know embedded is out at the time of recording i didn't watch it yet but i did see the thumbnail pop up on my computer like oh and it's you know zombie and cejudo hanging out and it's like oh here we go again but um I, I've said this. Uh, I, I don't think he's been with Cejudo directly enough to say that, oh, it's going to be some. Uh, he's going to be this completely different fighter. But it is about some of the decisions that are made out there. Yeah, yeah. With Cejudo, and uh, I say this very bluntly, uh, I think even. I, I gotta say, Cejudo's got to be shorter than Volkanovsky. That being said, I do think there's going to be an element of zombie is drilling for someone with a lot of movement and i gotta think they just kind of went all chips in on look you know like footwork movement footwork movement footwork movement you know you cannot be standing against a guy who's going to move like me just the same way you can't be like uh, uh this against a guy like alex um I'm not saying Henry Cejudo fights exactly like Volkanovski, but right. he certainly knows a lot of the things that Alex needs to do. Henry Cejudo overcomes height differences all the time. Right. So do I think that could, you know, that is significant? Yeah. 
But I think that you're once again trying to cram a lot of work in into too short an amount of time. Remember, we weren't talking about the zombie until like January. It's going to be the second week, technically first week of April. You know, right? It's, uh, it's just a lot of time to figure a lot of stuff out. And I don't know if it's going to be enough to overcome the challenge. And so that's why I'm there with you. Just um, I think it's going to come down to the movement once again of Okanovsky and the kicks. Honestly, just fake the hands, chop away at the tree, and then you're going to be in good position. But I think that Alex has shown the versatility of his arsenal a lot more than the zombie. And it's just uh, it's going to be enough to get the job done. So I'm with you. Volkanovski, right. unanimous decision. Okay. Hey, we're three for three. Let's oh see what my happens. gosh. <laughs> All right. Mackenzie Dern, Tisha Torres for the tiebreaker. <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> um, that's another good fight. Uh, Jared Vandera, uh, one weekish notice to fight Alexei Olenek this week. Two weeks notice, depending on how you see it. Um, fight Alexei Olenek. Olenek, who's supposed to fight Ilya Latifi two weeks ago. So that rounds out the pay per view. You got the return of Ian Gary. You got uh, Chris Curtis, um, Kay Hansen, Piero Rodriguez. I talked to Piera. She's very excited to make her UFC debut. Um, it's a lot of good stuff. The prelims are good. Um, you got Aspen Ladd taking on Raquel Pennington. Um, there's just a lot of good stuff. Yeah. Like a lot of uh, a lot of movement. A lot of men and women trying to get a get get a move in the rankings. So that's how you know you got a good card. And then next week, Natalie, um, we've got a very interesting doubleheader. I don't think they run head-to-head. I think uh, Friday, Saturday. But you have Bellator 273, AJ McKee against Patricio Pitbull number two, as well as the Grand Prix final, Vadim Nankov, Corey Anderson. And then in UFC, you got a high-stakes welterweight bout, like we talked about, Vicente Luque taking on Lal Muhammad for the second time. What do you like as we go into next week? McKee Pitbull too, like that's just really exciting because you know McKee was a, is a star at Bellator. Pitbull was their big name, and we saw the Grand Prix, that big shocking win, and let's see what happens now. Now we're uh, take two. Who's uh, who's who's most improved? Who's going to come out on top? So that's the one I'm looking at. I actually like the uh, Bellator card as a set, like that just big three of like you're going to go Aaron Pico, then to the Grand Prix final, then to uh, McKee Pitbull. I like the fight for everything you said. I talked with AJ and he did let me know like, hey, you know, contrary to, you know, probably some stuff that how it played out last summer, he's still got two more fights after Pitbull. So as much as I'd love to say, hey, he's going to have a rematch and then we're talking about the Kayla Harrison free agency thing, uh, you know, in, you know, later this month, it's not going to work that way. That being said, I'm just very interested in how they all perform as a group. The matchups, you know, you know how I feel about like the tournament. It's just it sometimes runs too separate that I just don't feel the heat. It almost right, takes too long to get long. to get done. This one, I, I really like it. I think that they've happened in just enough time. I think it's a very intriguing matchup. A new guy for Nemkov, Corey Anderson, some to prove. Um so I just like it as a group, but I think the Grand Prix final, because it's something new, is the one that gives me that big uh, the X factor. 
Okay. And then, uh, not for nothing, uh, Bilal and Luque potentially fighting for like a title shot or a title eliminator. That's a good fight. And I- I'm just, I've been ready to see Luque get back out there. I'm glad Bilal's gotten a, you know, he's got his main event. He's got his big opportunity. So I think it's good. It's not short notice like he fought Leon Edwards last year. It's actually, everything's coming together. So I like it. Sounds good. I like it too. Natalie, it's going to be a great week. Got a lot of good stuff going on. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in. Once again, have a good weekend. Enjoy the fights.